First off, I want to say thank you to everybody tuning in to the Royals Relationship Revelations podcast. This is episode nine. Episodes one through eight are out now on the streaming platforms of Anchor, uh, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can subscribe. I will be dropping one episode every Wednesday of every week. So you can just stay up to date. You can subscribe. You can follow. You can do whatever you need to do to make sure that you hear this every Wednesday or at some point every week. It don't have to be Wednesdays, but just make sure that you are tuning in every week. So if you looked at the title of this episode, it is about anxiety. And that word anxiety is so it's cringy. It's hard to talk about as a as a black male, a young black male at that. It is extremely tough to talk about and the reason why I think it's so tough is because I I was never taught to talk about anxiety. I was never taught to express that I do feel anxious about certain things that come into my life. And so growing up, you were just taught to be tough. You were taught to get through it. And it's such dangerous advice for somebody who would call themselves emotionally aware early on in their life but that was never a topic that I ever brought up because of the stigma that I knew that came with it 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 was looked at as being weak and trying to express yourself emotionally and let people know that you struggle in a certain area can be looked at as a weakness obviously me saying this to the public and not just to people that I know, I have come to the conclusion that it is the best thing for me to talk about this. It's the best thing for the people that are around me, for my family, for friends, for a comfortability level that that is important, that we can feel open enough to talk about these with the people that are closest with us. So to get us started, what anxiety looks like for me, and it doesn't look like this for everybody. So please don't go back and say, Royal said this about anxiety. I think it looks different for everybody. Some days it looks different for me. There is not a one, it's not a a one trick pony where you can gather all of the traits that come with anxiety because it looks so different from person to person, from situation to situation, from de- from a day-to-day basis. It all looks different. But overall, I think you will get a grasp of what what it looks like for me on a day-to-day basis. So, number one, I con- I try to control uncontrollable situations. All of the time. And obviously trying to control uh, uncontrollable situations will lead you into anxiety because you don't know the outcome of that situation. So for an example, I 
I booked a trip to Tennessee. This was early 2020. So right when COVID had hit, we had went out of school. We went digital. And so the goal was to plan a trip. We had a break in between our next time that we had to go back to school. And so my goal was to plan a trip to Tennessee. I love the cabin. I love just getting out into into nature and just chilling. Uh, so I booked the trip ahead of time. Me and my girlfriend at the time, we we booked this trip. And I remember the night before just having like a ill feeling in my stomach. And I really don't know where this feeling came from. So it was, I woke up at like 2.30 in the morning and I looked up the demographics of the place that we were about to go in Tennessee and stay in the cabin. And I'll never forget that after I looked up the demographics, that feeling got even worse. And it wasn't, it wasn't a feeling of, I'll take that back. It was. It was a feeling of worry and us being two black people, a black guy and a black girl being out in Tennessee in a population, y'all, where I kid you not, it's said that the population in the city that we were going to in Tennessee was a 0.1% of the entire demographic in that city. And I'm I'm gonna be honest, I think that we would have been fine if we went there in the cabin. But what anxiety did to me was it didn't allow me to go on that trip at that time because of the place that I was in mentally. Once again, trying to control uncontrollable situations and the only control that I had was to run from it it was to distance myself from the situation it was to not go through with it and I missed out probably on a a fun trip like I said I love I absolutely love just being out in nature so that that's one aspect that comes with it for me the other aspects are excessive worry, which obviously was pretty obvious in in the last situation. Anxiousness, clearly, because that's what anxiety is, anxiousness. And obsessive thoughts, dear Lord. Uh, thoughts that race constantly. Like, your mind is literally just spiraling in in negative ways. So it would be different if all of my thoughts were positive thoughts as they were spiraling, but they weren't at this time. They were all negative thoughts and you obsess over them. You, I lost sleep over just any type of thoughts, everything that was going on in the world at the time of 2020. And we will dive into that here in a second, but it's... It was constant and it it wasn't like something that happened when I was 
at home or when I was at school, it was constant. It was at home. It was at school. It was trying to sleep through thoughts that were racing in your mind, but also trying to give your brain a break to rest mentally. It it, it didn't happen for me. And that is a big part of what anxiety looked for me at that time. And it developed over time. So I don't remember. I do not remember having any of these symptoms early on in my life. But, and I I will give you an example. So as of right now, I don't like heights, afraid of heights. So obviously I struggle with getting on planes. And I remember when I was younger and I got to a point where I would, I didn't get on rides, but I would I would get on the plane easily. I remember I, before I moved down to Georgia, I used to come down and visit my aunt and uncle. And I used to fly by myself or me and my sister or me and my younger cousin. And I was under the age of 13, easily. Had no issues, no worries. But the older that I got and the more I watched the news or the more that I was on social media and I saw everything that was going on in the world, obviously 9-11 happened and that didn't help me feel better about planes. Watching the movie Castaway didn't help me feel about planes, even though it was so bizarre, even though it was very unlikely, like the odds were you are safer. And people always used to tell me this, oh, Royal, you're safer in a plane than you are in a car. Well, people with anxiety, it we struggle with the rational thoughts because the irrational thoughts kind of cloud your judgment. So once again, that all of this developed over time. It wasn't something that happened early on and I've been dealing with it all my life. So once again, the more knowledge I had, the worse it got. And it was, it always came down to the worst possible outcome in every situation. Every situation that I dealt with, it was the worst possible outcome. Like I said, I canceled the trip because at the time it was about my safety. The things that were going on with the world, with how I felt a lot of people were looking at black people at the time and no consequences that I felt like were being taken, I said, I don't feel safe going on this trip. And so when I was younger, I remember my mom used to always preach to me. And this is something that I still live by to this day, but I got so far away from it because of the anxiety that hit me later on in life. But it was always, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own worries. And I could tell myself that, but anxiety didn't allow me to live that in a way. And so it was hard for me to get past that piece of, don't worry about tomorrow, Royal. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Tomorrow has its own worries. So (laughs) I noticed this change at the start of 2020. And... At the start of 2020, obviously I talked about this earlier, 
Kobe had passed away in the helicopter accident. Police brutality was significantly high. Every time we turned around, it was another black man getting shot. It was somebody of color dealing with issues that dealt with the police. And so I was in a hyper aware state, like always aware. I remember, so I was I wasn't coaching at the time, but I was still around the coaches. And so after basketball games, we would go to Taco Mac or we would go to, I mean, it's definitely always Taco Mac, but we would go out to eat, you know, and have have a few drinks. But I remember always just being hyper aware of leaving that night and just making sure that I'm doing the speed limit, that I have no issues, no reason as to why people will pull me over the making sure that my brake lights were right, making sure that I used the, the turn signal or at the right time if I wanted to switch lanes. And I know that this all sounds minimal. I'm aware. But this is what your mind goes through because you want to do everything correct so that you don't end up in a situation. And I was obsessing over these thoughts. Car rides bothered me at the time. Eating out bothered me at the time. Being in a place where there were a ton of white people at the time bothered me because of how I felt like people were looking at me. And it was it was a lot that was self-inflicted, but it but it was still real to me. And y'all, you gotta understand that I am a <laughs> I I was I am a young black male teacher at a predominantly white school. And my anxiety was coming from being around a bunch of white people that I didn't think would understand where I was at at that point in time. And so that was causing me anxiousness. It was causing me worry. And this is the place that I worked at. So I think that just tells you the mental state that I was in, just trying to deal with those obstacles and deal with you know, b- being hurt, I didn't want to come off as a thug. I didn't want to come off as a victim. But it, but as a black male, if I express myself, and I'm passionate, you know, I, I am passionate about the things that I truly care about. I never wanted to come off as, as loud. But I also wanted there to be a certain level of understanding of being heard and understood. I... I felt like at the time that I needed that. And I knew that I needed that from people who were not of my same color. Because it's easy for me right now if I send a text message to some of my closest friends. And I have close close white friends and close black friends. But if I send a message right now to my close black friends about the things that were going on in 2020... I know the response that I would get from them. I knew that the response that I got from them would be one of understanding. But what I obsessed over at the time was, I need my white friends to understand this. So, I'll never forget when, what was it? The I forget who it was. It may have been Jacob Blake. 
at the time. Or I I can't remember. I I think it was Jacob Blake, but I remember um Matt Matt is the head coach that I now work for. He, so I'm one of the assistant coaches. Matt is the head coach. And Chris is also one of the other uh, assistant coaches. Two 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 white guys, but two of my closest friends to this day. We we talk, we we have a bond like like no other as far as you know, people that are of a different race that that I can relate to, that I can sit down and have real life convos with. And I'll never forget. And to this day, I, I appreciate them for this. But they both reached out when the stuff was going on in the, in America at that time. And obviously, the message was longer than this. But what I got from the message was, I stand with you. Like, I am with you through all of this. Like, you, you are my brother. And I, I needed that. They, they don't know what that did for me at the time. But I needed it so much. It was... It was so relieving in a way because as somebody who was dealing with anxiety and worry and obsessing over these thoughts, I didn't want to go to them and tell them, tell them these things about me because I didn't want to be looked at as a victim. I didn't, I didn't want to be looked at as being weak and for them to come to me and say, I stand with you. We see the things that are going on and as our brother who is black and obviously we don't have these same issues that we deal with because we are white, we stand with you. And I appreciated that and I needed that. And that that was a breath of fresh air to hear them say that. And it helped me feel better. I, I will never forget that I slept so much better after I got done talking to Matt and we just thought talked through text message. It wasn't anything crazy. But then but me and Chris, we actually met up at the park one day and we just had a long convo and he asked questions and he wanted clarity on everything that was going on and how I felt. And at that time I just needed to be heard. I needed to be able to express my emotions. But so many people didn't want to have these uncomfortable convos and they chose to have them. And I think that's that's exactly what anxiety is. It is a uncomfortable convo and it's tough to have. <clears throat> but the minute that you express it, it, there is a weight that is lifted for sure. So that's where I was at mentally. Though I think those were the mental uh, aspects of anxiety. But the, the physical traits, dear Lord, this list, I think I can make seven episodes about this list of the physical traits. So it started off not being able to go to sleep. So I would stay up until 12 a.m. And then I would wake up around 4.15 every morning, no matter what time I went to sleep, y'all. It, it literally would wake me up at 4.15 because my mind was racing so much. Like, I think there is a study on like the REM, the REM sleep, the the sleep study, and like it, like your mind being in a deep, in a deep state of rest. My mind never did that for the last two years. 
you know, and I still, I still deal with anxiety. Obviously, I don't think that that's something that goes away instantly, but it's not as bad as it was in 2020. I mean, literally, same time every day. I woke up 4:15, no matter what what time I went to bed. And that just let me know there that my mind my mind was never at ease for for some for some reason. And not being able to sleep affects your mood. And once again, I would consider myself a very very happy, joyful person. And at that time, over those over these past two years, two and a half years, I was irritable. I was easily irritated by certain things and I let certain things affect me that never affected me before. So, and this was the crazy part about all of this that I didn't even recognize at the time. And I actually had to reach out to my mom. So when I was dealing with the anxiety and the not being able to sleep and, and then not being able to stay asleep, I obviously went to the doctor, let them know my symptoms. Obviously they told me that they that I had anxiety, which is something that I knew. But one thing that impacted me so much was, so she asked me, uh, the the doctor at the time, she says, Royal, do does your family have a history of bipolar? And I was like, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I was like, not that I know of, but I can find out if I need to. I was like, so what's the issue? And she was like, I I mean, nothing too big. But she said bipolar can be hereditary and it can run. Obviously, that means it can run in your family. And she said, the medicine that I'm giving you, I need to know because if it does and you possibly have traits of somebody who could possibly be bipolar, it could send you in a manic episode. So now I'm looking like, are these mood swings that I'm having not due to my anxiety and due to me possibly being bipolar? And I, I was just sitting there like, there is, there is no way, right? Like, and I don't know how bipolar works, but Obviously, that's a, it's not a big deal for me because I deal with people on every day on a day to day basis. So we, we gotta have these answers. So she asked me this. So so I step outside the the doctor's office. I call up my mom. I said, Mom, like, does anybody uh, that is immediately close to us deal with bipolar? Like my granny, my granddad, you, my dad. And she literally said she was like. Man, your your dad was, you know, clinically diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And I, I just remember, like, freezing on the phone because I was, I guess I was worried in a way. I was, I was so worried because I knew I had to have face-to-face interactions with people. But but now you are possibly telling me that I could I could have this disorder as well because my dad had it, and that was something, y'all. I was 
I'm 29 right now. I was 27 when I found this out. Obviously, you know, me knowing when I was younger wouldn't have been beneficial. But it it was crazy to me how how my mind was thinking at that time. And I wasn't angry. Obviously, people deal with mental di- mental diseases differently. But I was worried. I would say that. I was I was extremely worried at that time when she had told me that. But I appreciate her, and I needed to know that. So now, even when I go to get the medicine, I have, you know, obviously I got to answer the, the questions to make sure that that is not something that would send me into a, a manic state. But I, I, long story short, I don't have bipolar. But it was it was a worry at the time because my dad was clinically diagnosed, and once again, I didn't find this out until I was twenty seven years old. So the the sleepless night the sleepless nights led me into obviously being tired throughout the day and not wanting to sleep because it led to to certain thoughts of me being restless. And so not being able to sleep and then not being able to go to sleep was just like, that is a cycle in itself. That's hard to break because you're not getting the hours that you need to, to get that mental break. And so, like I said, we are teaching at this point through a pandemic. And so I was digital. So everything was through a zoom call. And I just remember going to the hospital before this is after I started the medicine, but I was I was trying my best to portray this. Oh, I can do better without this medicine. And so, y'all, this I know this is half backwards what I'm about to say, but this is what was happening. So I would take the medicine, it would be helping me, and I would feel good, right? And you guessed it, I would be like, oh, I don't need this anymore. I feel great. I feel back to normal, and. In my head, now that I look back on it, obviously the reason why I was feeling better is because I was taking the medicine. But the pride that is in me as a black male who hates dealing with the stigma of having to deal with anxiety, I was like, okay, I'm not about to take the medicine. So, and you got to think about this. I was sending my body through so much stress in itself of not taking the medicine because I was feeling better. And then I would go into a state of not feeling better. And then I would go back to the hospital. So at this point, I had stopped taking the medicine. Then I went back to the hospital. And so I never forget. I'm sitting down. And so obviously you go into an ER. And I am in the emergency room because I feel terrible. My body physically feels terrible. And I cannot explain these symptoms. So the lady is asking me. She said, so what symptoms do you feel, sir? And I think the hardest convo that I had was that day. And the reason why it was so hard is because I could not explain to her physically how I was feeling. I just knew I wasn't feeling like myself. And trying to explain that to somebody who works in an emergency room is the most frustrating thing ever because I literally said, I don't know what's wrong. But I know I'm not myself, and I know that there is something wrong with me. So 
could you please check me out? And that's how the convo went. I didn't have, I wasn't like, my stomach wasn't hurting. I didn't have any headaches. The The overall feeling at that time was, I'm not feeling like myself. Something feels wrong. So could you check me out? That, that was tough. That was, that was tough to have, especially with a stranger who is basically looking at you like you're crazy. And let let her know that you just know that something is wrong with you and you need them to believe that. And that's all I needed at the time was for them to believe that I knew that there was something wrong with me. But the other symptoms, I mean, rapid heartbeat and my hands being shaky as I try to pour a drink of water, always feeling like I need to move or be active. So me resting was never good. I never needed to just sit in one place. I, I needed to be up and moving. I needed to to be active at the time. Um and just not not feeling like you in control of your body. It anxiety has so many physical traits. And y'all I'm gonna be honest, I don't even know if if everything that I talked about today was everything that I dealt with, but those are the ones that stick out to me the most. For sure. And I'm hoping that if you are experiencing this as a male, as a as a female, as a black male, as a black female, as a as a white female, anybody of any color, of any race, of any gender, I think you gotta learn to express it. And I don't know if that's therapy for you. I don't know if that's letting the, the people closest to you know. But the more that it bottled up inside of me, the more that it changed me as a person. Because if you're not getting help for it, you're going to try to deal with it on your own. And a lot of times we don't have the answers to that. And that's something that I had to deal with. Once again, somebody with anxiety is trying to control the uncontrollable. And that is tough. It is It is so tough to do. So what I want to leave with you before I end this episode, is that as of right now, and hopefully as I continue on with my life, I'm ex- I'm able to express myself emotionally. I have no issues with it. Obviously, I still deal with anxiety, but it's a lot better now that I'm able to open up about it than to keep it inside because there is a level of security that I feel with it. When I used to feel a level of insecurity, if I opened up about it, but I'm no longer there. It, I no longer look at it as a weakness. I no longer look at vulnerability as something that only women can do. Men, we need it as well. Um, I went back to doing the things that I love. I told you in 2020, I had took a year from coaching. I went back into it because I love being around basketball. I love watching kids get better at a sport th- that I enjoy. And, and the last thing, I'm not the last thing, but the second to last thing, I engaged in healthy relationships. I engaged in relationships that that brought me peace. And I, I think we need that as well. Don't 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 always react to the outside and what looks like would be a good relationship or a good friendship, but go go to the ones that bring you peace. And the last thing that I did was I prayed. Because that's all I could do. On the nights that the 
that the medicine, the I don't even know the names of some of this medicine that I that I had at the time, but on the nights that those didn't work, the the only way that I found peace was prayer. And whatever higher power you believe in, I I just feel like we we need that at those times that we are at our roughest places. So I appreciate you for listening. We will end it there. Thank you. Um, and stay tuned for next week. We will be dropping next Wednesday. Y'all have a good one.